0: Amen. One last announcement. We're hosting a marriage conference, which is not this weekend, meaning today and tomorrow, but next uh, weekend. So uh, most of you probably know about it, but if you don't, you can pick this up, sign up online. Uh, It's a Friday night, Saturday morning, $20 per couple. So it's a great, great thing. And we'd love for you to come. Um, Today, we're going to talk about risk, risk. We're, we're thinking about your internal walls, I'm trying to build a strong internal core as a Christian man, and you have, to take, you have to make a lot of decisions, and many of your decisions involve risk. So we want to think about how you, um, how you operate in that way and give you some time to talk about it, but let's just start by looking at this little video that involves risk. yeah so don't you wish that was uh the the golf hole on your course that was six feet wide, and uh you know it's a it's a financial group, and so they're trying to say, hey don't don't miss, Watch out for your risk, your investments. you want to put your money in a place where you're going to play it safe. And so of course, that's not terrible, but there are times you can't play it safe because you just can't predict what's gonna happen. And my question is, if you think about like your, this was a gauge, this was your risk meter. And if you sorta had it perfectly down, uh, that you would move forward in, in in a healthy way, involved with your risk. But of course none of us are actually that healthy, in case you didn't know that. And you you tend to fall towards one side which would be on the side of fear. So something something seems risky and your first sort of impulse is, "Oh, let's back up. Let's let's not do that. It's too risky." Or you're kind of a hard charger. And you don't really think before you do something. And uh, we're going to call that foolishness. Now, there's all kinds of degrees. uh, But my first question is just which way do you tend to move? So if you think about the ready, aim, fire... This is ready, aim, ready, aim, I'm not ready, right? That's, that's the fear person, they, not, they, they just can't fire, they just ready, aim, I'm not sure what would happen if, I don't know, all these things come up, and you feel like you need to move forward, and you kind of get ready, but somehow, you just can't pull the trigger, and, of course, if you're all the way over here, this is fire, aim. Who needs to be ready? I mean, that's what that is. You just fire, and then you hope whatever you fired off hits, hits some target that you were shooting for, and you never really get ready. So that's just called foolishness. So we want to somehow be in the right balance of this. And so my question is, is how do you have the, the courage to overcome your fear if you're on this side, and then how do you exercise uh, wisdom if you're on the foolishness side? So that's what we're gonna look at this morning, risk. First question is just which way do you tend to lean? I'm not saying you're all, all the way down here or all the way down here, but you just tend to be more on this side of the equation or, or that side of the equation. So, first of all, I want to look at Psalm 3. Psalm 3. And let me just read the first six verses of this psalm, Psalm of David. And he says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him and God. But you, O Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up against me all around. So here we have David. He's probably in his 60s. He's getting towards the end of his leadership reign as the king of Israel. And his uh, son, Absalom, has executed uh, a plan to oust his dad. So it's been a four-year plan that Absalom has plotted out. And he's come into Jerusalem. He's gotten the right people on his side. And he throws his own dad out of his house and out of the city. Then he pitches a tent on the top of the king's Uh, palace and sleeps with David's wives. So imagine, this is a bad day for David. So he's running out of the city, and this is what he writes. This is Psalm 3. And so I just want to notice that a couple of threats here. One, there's physical threats. You see that? How many of my foes? How many are, are rising against me? Thousands are setting up against me. So uh, he's running out and perhaps Absalom, is he's got a little squadron of uh, elite soldiers and saying, hey, chase down David. He's, he's ready to get rid of his dad. He's, he's sick of his dad for other reasons that are too complicated to mention now, but he's tired of his dad. He's ready to take over. He has executed this hostile takeover and he's chasing down his dad with his army. So so David's in physical threat, but he's also in, a, in what I would say psychological threat. Look at verse 2. Many are saying, so think about this, this is like a whisper campaign. It's not necessarily people shouting, it's like David ha, has, has been uh, shipped off and people are starting to say, you know what, I don't think God's for him. I don't, I don't know if he's really saved. I mean, he looked like he was, God was with him when he was the king, but now he's lost that kingship. So, God's withdrawn himself from David. It's a, it's a whisper campaign. It's getting in David's head. So, he's got physical threats, and he's got these psychological threats. And so, this is really all-out warfare. And so, the enemy's trying to destroy David. And you could understand why this is a place that you get frozen on the fear side. You just couldn't move forward because you got all these threats and you just get frozen. You feel like it's too many things happening at one time, and I get stuck. I can't move forward. And you've probably been in that place. And so everything's unraveling for David. His approval ratings, they're going down. Uh, his political power, going down. He get, gets kicked out of his own house going down. So all the things that David might find his identity in, think about this for yourself, all the things that when somebody asks you about yourself, you identify yourself as. Well, I live in this city. I do this kind of work. I'm married and have these children. All these things that you and I commonly say, they all get ripped out from underneath David. So he can't identify himself in any of those ways or he's lost all those ways and he, he, gets, he could easily get stuck. And my question is, is how does he get unstuck and how does that help us when we have to make decisions and we have to keep moving forward? David can't afford to stay still because he'll get destroyed. So he's got to still, still make decisions, still move forward. He does end up coming back to be the king. But how does he move forward in this place where he could get stuck in fear? And I would say that he relocates his glory, and you see it in verse 3. He relocates his glory. That's the key phrase here. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, so he's saying, I've got all these foes. They're rising up against me. I've got these physical threats, verse 1. Verse 2, I have these psychological threats. There's this whisper campaign. God's no longer with David. And then he reminds himself, but, okay, good good transition. But you, O Lord, you're my shield, you're my glory. Now, glory in the Hebrew means weight. So what David is reminding himself is, is I put all my weight on you. And he's probably had to relocate that glory because he had some of his weight on himself, on his power, on his position, on his family, and he has to realize, no, all my weight has to rest on God alone. I can't have my weight on these things, because if I have my weight on these things, as good as they are, they all can and will one day get ripped out from underneath you. One day, all the things that you identify yourself with will be gone. And the question is, is will you still be able to remain standing? Where's your weight? So he relocates his glory. He says, God, really all of my weight goes to you. It's not about my personal popularity. It's not about my power. It's not about my net worth. It's not about the city that I live in or the house on the hill. It's not about any of those things. It's not even about my family, and I can lift my head. I can be proud just because you exist. So he's relocating his glory, and he realizes this. There's never any risk to his real asset. David has to remind himself that there's never any real risk, any risk to his real asset because the Lord is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. So if all of his weight is on God, then really there's never any real risk to this asset. And so my question is, what if you lived like there was never any risk to your real asset? See, the the commercial is saying there's real risk to your assets. You you give your your $10,000 to your uh, accountant or your broker guy, and there's risk. And he's trying to help you say, play it safe. But what if your weight really was on something that would never move, and you lived like there was never any real risk to that asset, and that's the main thing. That's where your weight is. How, how might you live differently if that was your mindset? Well, that's what David has to, to remind himself of, and here's how you can tell he's gotten it. So you say, okay, uh, this sounds good, Paul. How would I know if I'm actually doing it? Verse 5, I lay down and go to sleep. Notice that? Isn't that an interesting little verse? See, if your assets are really at risk, guess what you can't do? Sleep. I mean, you go to sleep, but 2 a.m., you're awake, and you can't go back to sleep, or you just can't get to sleep. Because something's churning inside and you, there's a real risk about something and you can't quite figure it out or you're nervous about it and, or it's leaving you, whatever that is. But David, somehow he relocates his glory. I'm sure David was over here saying, I'm getting my identity from myself, from my popularity, from my power, from my family. And now I've relocated. I've said, God, you're really my, my asset. There's no risk to you. So, I can lay down and go to sleep. Verse 5. Verse 6 And I'm not afraid. So, how do you know if you're really living this way? It's It's hard to gauge, and I would say these are two simple little gauges. How well do you sleep? And how much does fear drive your life? Fear of man fear of losing your assets. I mean, there's all kinds of fears that drive people's lives. So David has to continue to take risks, has to continue to be, move forward, can't, be, can't get frozen in fear, even though he's got real, real things to be concerned about. And he needs courage, and he gets that courage by relocating his glory, saying, God, you're my, you're my asset, all my weight's on you, and so I can trust in you no matter what happens to me, I can trust in you. You're my main asset. So that's the first thing that we want to re- remember. There's a uh, verse in First Peter. You see it up here. First Peter. Peter is writing back to the early churches who are all under heavy persecution. And when you're under heavy persecution, you, you, you shrink. Anytime you're in pain, you know this, you shrink. You Everything focuses in. You hit your thumb with a hammer, guess what? Everything is about your thumb, right? At that moment, all energy towards this one thing. You start shrinking down, and Peter says, I see these churches, and they might shrink down because the culture is sort of squashing them, and he, as this great apostle, is trying to encourage them. And he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the very first thing he says in his letter. Praise be to God. In other words, Psalm 3. Oh, Lord. He's, he's trying to uh, inject the Lord into their lives. And, and then this is what he says. In his great mercy, he has given us what? An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Because you might lose your house you might lose your family and you might lose your life that's what a lot of the early church people lost by being christians i mean you you've heard it the last several years the christians in iraq many of them lost their families lost their livelihood and peter's trying to inject into that group of people you have an inheritance that never spoils. It never goes away. I want you to identify your weight on that thing so when you ha- do have to deal with the difficulties of life, you realize the one your one real asset never is under threat. So again, I want to come back to where, where is your weight today? If we had a, a scale up here and you stepped on it and it just identified what you put your weight on, Would it be, would Paul Phillips come up here? Would Christ Community Church come up on the scale? Would a bank account come up on the scale? I mean, what would come up on your scale? What's what's that say? And really, what would it be like if you lived like your main treasure can't be threatened? If you really believe that, how how might you live in the world? How might you be willing to take certain risks that you wouldn't take right now. So that's on the fear side. Now, what about the foolishness side? Maybe you're on the side where you're just like, you're just firing all the time and you're hoping you're you, you get, you hit something on the target. And so Jesus wants to help us understand, or the, the Bible wants to help us understand in Jesus in Luke 14, uh, about how to exercise wisdom. And so there's some things that we have to hold in tension, Luke 14 you can turn there. It's a pretty familiar passage, and he's actually talking to his disciples about uh, or the people that are following, hey, if you want to be a disciple, better count the cost. Remember this? Lots of people following because it's kind of popular at this moment. Of course, it would be popular to follow somebody who is healing people and bringing people back from the dead, so you want to get in that sort of that wake And he turns around and looks at him and says, Hey, you just want to make sure you want to count the cost. Because it's it's going to be hard one day, and I want you to make sure you have the end in mind. And so he uses a couple of uh, illustrations one's a business illustration, a building illustration, one's a military illustration. You remember them? If a man's gonna build a tower, what's he gotta do? He's gotta count the costs. He's gotta figure out, hey, can I get to the to the very end of the tower? Cause if I don't, I might just lay a foundation or I might get one story, but then I've run out of money, I've run out of resources, and then I look like a fool. I look like the guy over here. I just wasn't wise. I just I just I just fired, but then I didn't really count the cost and the project just kind of sat and then rusted away and and they go, oh, he was a fool. Paul was a fool. He started a project. He didn't really think about the end in mind. And then he gives another illustration about the, the, the guy who's going to go to war. You know, you got 10,000. The other guy's got 20,000. Maybe you can win, but you've got you to make sure before you get into battle And if you don't think you can win, you should go get a peace treaty real quick because that's not going to end well for you. So Jesus is talking about discipleship, but he just picks up on wisdom issues that every person in the crowd would understand. And my question for you and for me is, do we begin with the end in mind? So when we're trying to make a decision and it feels risky before you just make it, do you, do you step back, not in fear, but in wisdom? You see the difference? One is step back because I'm just afraid and I'm frozen and I can't move forward. One is I'm stepping back and I'm trying to get the end in my mind. And I'm trying to ask myself, is this an end that we have the resources to reach? Now, you can't be absolutely positive on every decision. I'm not trying to say that. But I'm trying to say there's a wisdom issue and my question is is, is, is that what you might need? Or how good are you at stepping back in wisdom and thinking, now what's the end? Let me think about all the ways this could kind of work out. And am I really prepared as a leader to do it? Do I have the resources to get to this end? Or do I just say, I don't know, I, I got the resources to do the first step and we'll just see what happens. And maybe sometimes that works out, but a lot of times it doesn't work out. Eighteen months ago, I think it was in September, this would have been 1817, 2017, 2 a.m., I got up at 2 a.m. and just started typing. And after about two hours, what came out on that piece of paper was Christ Community Church 2.0. And in that, at the very end of that, probably four or five page document was, we need to raise $1.2 million. That was what I thought. That was part of getting to the end. And last week, that's what we got. Isn't that great? Incredible. But you got to sit and think, what's the end? What are all the things that need to happen? And, and is that possible? Because sometimes I've sat down and said, and it may not be a dollar amount, it may be a people amount, amount it may not be a personal energy amount. And say, well, in order to get to that, Paul, you'd have to do this. And I go, you know what? I don't have that. I just don't. I don't have that in me. I don't have that much energy or lift for that. So I just can't do it. Or I don't think we as a family or we as a church, we just don't have the resources. That's a great idea, but I'm looking at the end, and I just don't think we can get to the end on that. So my question is just in using Jesus' wisdom, are you good at stepping back and then trying to think at the end best you can, and can you get to that point? That's That helps you get away from foolishness and towards a, a healthy risk. Now let's look... Uh last point here, James chapter four. James is the New Testament book for wisdom. So if you think about the Old Testament book of wisdom, that would be Proverbs. New Testament book of wisdom is James. James chapter 4, verse 13. Is anyone among uh oh, sorry. 13, 4, 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town. Spend a year there and make a trade, make a profit. So this is a businessman saying, hey, I'm going to open a franchise. I'm going to go across the river. I'm going to open up a business over there. We're going to spend, there, uh, spend a year there. We're going to make some profit. Yet, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, this is, as it is, you're foolish, you boast, you're arrogant. You see, you don't, you don't calculate the Lord being involved with this. As it is, you're arrogant, and all such boasting is evil. So here's our last point in terms of how do we move away, towards, away from foolishness towards wisdom. So we want to step back and really think of the end. And second, we want to have humility in our mind. That's the problem with this person. He's not humble. He's not humble. He, he, he just says, I, I, I'm going to do this. This is what's going to happen. He doesn't have the humility to say, you know what? I don't, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, a lot of times what happens is you take uh, your current model and then you look at it and say, I'm going to just going to stretch that over the next 20 years. But you know what? You don't calculate all the other things that are going to happen in the next 20 years. You just look at all the factors today and think if all those things stay the same, this is where we're going to be in 20 years. But guess what? Lots of factors are going to happen during the 20 years that you can't take that one frame and sort of calculate it out. So you have to have some kind of humility just to, in your mind, to get away from foolishness. This is just getting away from foolishness, just to stop and say, you know what, I'm not in ultimate control. I don't, I don't know exactly what tomorrow is going to bring. Yes, I'm going to make a plan. I'm gonna, I, James didn't say don't make a, make a plan. He's not saying just wake up and wing it every day. That's not what you want to take away from this. He's just saying, when you make a plan, just say, I can't be absolutely sure exactly how this is going to happen. And two, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to inject the Lord into my thinking, if the Lord wills, verse 15. So he's not saying just, just get up and wing it. He's just saying, no, I'm making a plan. I'm going to go to this new town. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to do it with humility. And I know God might be moving in some way between now and tomorrow or next year that I don't know. Maybe he wants me to start this franchise over here and it fails, but I meet somebody that then that succeeds. I don't know. I don't know how exactly how God's gonna work it out. If you were to look on my goals, I spend a week every year just by myself thinking about Christ Community Church for the next year and myself for the next year. And then I, I usually have a five-year plan So it just keeps going five years out every year. Um, So now, last year I was looking at 60. Where do I want to be at 60? Where do I want to be physically? Where do I want to be church-wise, career-wise? Where do I want to be financially for my family? i got all these goals written out. And if if today I take my frame and stretch it over for five years and nothing happens, I don't get sick, I never have a car wreck, my uh, house doesn't uh, need a new roof, all that stuff, then this is where we're gonna be. But I know, you know, Paul, there's gonna be some things here you don't see that are gonna happen, and you not you might not be anywhere near this plan, or you might be double the plan. I don't know. This happens all the time. You guys know this in business. You know this happens all the time. You got this one year plan, you got all these goals, and then somebody quits. A storm comes, right? <coughs> and now you're doing, you're scrambling. I was listening to this guy uh, who was working for a church in town, and he had this uh, uh, the, one of these uh, businesses where you clean out underneath a, guy, a person's house. You know what I'm saying? You get the water out and all, you sanitize and all that stuff. Well, he thought it'd take a couple years for it to grow, and he started it a month before the storm, and he just went. Whoosh! He didn't know. He didn't know. So now he's scrambling. He's scrambling because he got all this business. Of course, then what do you do after the storm? You see what I'm saying? It's very challenging dynamic. So he's trying to say, I don't know. I mean, God, had, he, God knows, but I don't know. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm not, I'm not going to be foolish. I'm going to begin with the end in mind. I'm going to step back and say, you know what? I'm going to make a plan, but I don't know everything. And God might have something else in mind that I can't quite calculate, and I just want to be open to that. I want to be open to God moving in a way that's not in my plan. I want to look at my five-year plan and say, God, you know what? My finances are open. My physical health is open. My church is open. It's all open to you. You've got things that you see that I don't see, and I want to be, just be open to that. I don't want to be foolish. All right, so we'll uh, get into groups of three or four here. There's s- several questions here for you to answer about where you are on your risk meter. And uh, you got about 15 minutes. Ready? Break.